Good morning. It's good to be back with you all this morning. As uh, Matt mentioned this morning, Sarah and I were out of town last week uh, attending a, a marriage retreat. And um, a week ago today, we were worshiping um, with Pam, actually, at, uh, at her home congregation there. And um, had an opportunity to visit with her, a good visit, and um, it was very difficult to leave. I'll just say that. It was difficult to come back. Sometimes, um, you know, you, you take vacations and you're like, man, I can't wait to get back home. This has been long enough, but it wasn't long enough. So, um, But uh, I say all that to uh, mention that Matt and Melissa came uh, was down there as well this year. But um, next year, we're planning on going again, and we'd like to invite any married couple that wants to go down to go because it was an absolutely wonderful experience. The lessons we learned uh, were fantastic. Um, Definitely things that you can apply to your marriage um, no matter how old the marriage may be or how old you feel in your marriage. Um, (coughs) So um, we've, uh, we've, you guys know that I like to talk about the weather when I get up here and um, you know, we've had some flooding issues over the past week, and I realized that we have not had the opportunity to talk about emergency procedures in the case that a flood happens. Uh, Clint sent this to me yesterday, and uh, this is a really good um, opportunity to mention that if flooding ever occurs, we know where to go because it's worked before. Um, <laughs> thanks, Clint. Um, So our reading this week was from Mark chapters 3 through 7, and thank you again to Kip for the wonderful lesson that he brought last week um, from our reading about hate, Um, definitely a timely uh, subject um, that uh, that he spoke of, Um, and unfortunately I didn't get to hear Dave's, um, so I'm not sure what he preached on, but I'm sure it was good, and thank you for that. Um, If that is Dave. It is Dave. Okay. I told the boys last night that Dave wasn't going to be at church today, but his, his twin brother was going to be here, um, and Sarah didn't understand, and now she does. Um, so throughout our reading of Mark thus far, uh, and in the first couple of chapters, which we read last week, um, you know, we see that there's criticism that Jesus endures from religious leaders. Uh, in Mark chapter 2, there are three different criticisms uh, that Jesus Faces. The first of which, in verses 6 through 7, there in Mark chapter 2, Jesus claims to forgive sins, and the Pharisees were not happy about this. And then, right after that, uh, in verse uh, 16, Jesus then dines with sinners, and the Pharisees weren't happy with that. And then, in verse, uh, verses 23 through 24, Jesus' disciples are plucking grain on the Sabbath, and guess what? The Pharisees weren't happy about that. And so they fa- he faced criticism. Now from Mark chapter 2, we move into Mark chapter 3, which is what uh, we read a portion of this morning, and hopefully we, you read this week. And this is where the criticism of the Pharisees quickly turns into conspiracy. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Notice the goal of the Pharisees here. The criticisms that they had been bringing forth in the previous chapter has now turned to a hardness of hearts. Now in the following verses, Jesus goes ahead, of course, and heals the man on the Sabbath. 
And the response from the, from the Pharisees is to get together and conspire with the Herodians to destroy Jesus. Now, there's something that Jesus teaches in Mark chapter 3 in these first few verses that I don't want us to miss out on because I think it's very important for us to understand as we talk about hard hearts and hard thoughts this morning. In Mark chapter 3, in verse 4, he asks the Pharisees, he says, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? And they didn't answer. Why didn't they answer? Well, they knew the answer. They knew the answer was to do good. The answer, the answer was to save a life. But to answer that would to go against the very traditions that they held to. But the importance of Jesus' teaching here is that to not do good is to do harm. I want you to think about that. Think about that and how it applies to your life. Are there times in which maybe we pass by somebody on the street who's in need? We don't do good for them. Are we, in doing that, doing harm? And I've talked about before, when we go out to eat sometimes on Sunday afternoons and we're dressed in our Sunday best and we're going out to eat and people see, hey, these people probably came from church and then we're rude to the servers or we tip terribly. Are we doing good or are we doing harm? These church people don't tip real good. It's a true statement. I used to be in the service industry and serving in restaurants it's a true statement. Now, granted, I worked in a college town of a Church of Christ college, and so it was a little bit easier to get away with, or it was easier for that not to be the case because many of the folks that came in there knew that I was a college student going to Harding, so they tipped me better. Um, but nonetheless, today, are we doing good? Or are we doing harm in our influence to others? And the reason why that's important is because it speaks directly to this condition of the heart. Having a hard heart, or, and, and thus leading to hard hearts. So, to look into this, let's consider just how hard the Pharisees' hearts were here. Their hearts were so hard that it angered and it grieved Jesus. Have you ever heard elsewhere in the Bible that Jesus was angry? He was angry and grieved at their hard hearts. Their hardness of heart undoubtedly led to their conspiracy to destroy Jesus. And that's where the hard thoughts come in. It's easy to be critical of the Pharisees' hard hearts and hard thoughts as they were unable to appreciate the healing of this suffering man. However, if we're not careful, we can easily fall into this exact same situation. So what we need to do is we need to consider the problem. The first problem is hard hearts. This has been a problem for a long time. Cain, Pharaoh, Israel itself, all had hard hearts. See, the problem with hard hearts, or with a hard heart, is that it leads to spiritual dullness. Spiritual dullness is the inability to see truth. This spiritual dullness is what led Jesus to teach the crowds in parables. Look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 13 through 15. Jesus says, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. 
that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus speaks to them in parables because He knows that their hearts are hard. He knows that they won't hear what He's saying. He knows that they won't see what He's doing. And when we look at the Pharisees and the Herodians, that's exactly what's happening. Throughout Mark's Gospel account, we read about the hard hearts of, of the disciples. The spiritual dullness which prevented them, or rather hindered their ability to understand Jesus' teachings. To understand Jesus' miracles. Now, today when we read through these, we're going to look at a, a series of verses here from Mark. It's easy to see that they're missing the obvious. We can look at this and say, how could you be so blind? Look at Mark chapter 6. Let's start there. Verse 45. <clears throat> now, Previous to this, Jesus had sent his disciples out to go preach. They sent them out two by two, and they did wonderful, miraculous things. And they came back, and Jesus saw that they were tired and said, well, you need to give you some rest. And then, of course, when they went to go take some rest, here comes the crowds, and the crowds are pushing in on them again. And so Jesus has compassion on them, and he feeds them. And the disciples are like, it's, I'm tired, we're tired. Can we please rest like you asked us or told us to rest? And so, verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. So Jesus says, all right, I'm going to take you away from the crowds. I'm going to send you across the sea. What's more peaceful than being on the sea? Unless there's a storm, right? Go across the sea, get your rest, and I'll meet you on the other side. Verse 46, after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So I want you to think about this situation here. First of all, I think it's a little humorous. The fact that the, the disciples are asking and wanting this time of rest, and Jesus says, all right, go across the sea, have some time of rest, I'll meet you on the other side, and what's going on on the sea? The winds are against them, and they're struggling to get across the sea. And so once again, they're having to work hard. Remember those mountains we talked about? This mountain that the disciples thought, oh man, we're not getting the rest that we need. Now we're going across the ocean and we're having this difficult time. What's the mountain that's put there for them? What's it for? To trust in God. To put their trust in Christ in the, that what He says He will provide them. But their hearts were hard. And of course, Jesus walking on the sea, they were astounded, but their hearts were hardened and they didn't understand about the loaves. Again, we can look at this today and say, what's not to understand? Jesus just turned five loaves and two fish into a lot more than that. 
What's so hard to understand? Jesus just walked on the water. That doesn't happen. And as soon as he steps into the boat, what happens? Everything calms down. But yet they still don't understand. Flip over a couple chapters to Mark chapter 8, verse 13. Jesus left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten, they being the disciples, had forgotten to bring bread. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousands, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? Now notice at the beginning here, Jesus tells them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Who's plotting to kill Jesus? The Pharisees and the Herodians. And the leaven that Jesus is speaking about is the false things that they're spreading about him. But they're so worried about the physical bread that they have, the one loaf of bread that they have, and they have forgotten the power of Jesus to provide the things that they need to survive. Look down at, uh, turn over to Mark chapter 16. Verse 14, Mark 16, that's the end, right? That's the end of Mark. How in the world are we going to see hard hearts here after Jesus is raised from the dead? How are we going to see hard hearts in this verse? Look at verse 14. Verses 15 through 16 and and, and on, that's the great commission that Jesus gives. But right before that, afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief, in hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Again, we can look at this because we have four gospel accounts. We have the full story of Jesus, and we can look at this and say, how did you not get it? He said time and time again that he's going to raise again on the third day. He's going to come back. And yet when people saw him after he came back, you didn't believe them. Jesus rebukes them and gets on to them right before he charges them with the great commission. And then, of course, he ascends up back into heaven. And a short time later, of course, the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 would come down upon them and the kingdom would be established and it would begin to be spread. This last thing that Jesus says to them before he gives them the great commission was a final warning. A warning against the mental resistance The mental resistance that exists, the hard thoughts that we'll get to here in a second, but the mental resistance that is a part of having a hard heart. And that mental resistance can, could and would, rather, and still can today, hinder the spread of the gospel. Mental resistance is a refusal to consider what might be true. 
We see this in our text with the Pharisees, blinded by the good that Jesus had done and the good that He continues to do, but they missed it. This mental resistance, a refusal to accept or believe what could be true, what might be true, think back to the parable of the sower. The seed that was thrown on the on the, the rocky or on the on the path that Satan came away and plucked up, or the seed that was thrown on the rocky soil that hey this is good news, but there's no root. And as soon as the the first wind or the first sun, if you will, to go with the parable of doubt, of temptation, of trial comes up, that's the mental resistance, the hardness of heart. You see, the problem with a hard heart is described by Solomon in Proverbs 28, verse 14. He said, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Hard hearts don't lead to a good end. They lead to calamity. But blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. So clearly, a hard heart is a very serious problem. One that that accompanies and often leads to hard thoughts. This other problem that we have. Consider 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Paul writes, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Paul's saying, look, these the Jews, the the law of Moses created a wall. It created a veil, and quite literally in the temple, it was a giant curtain that separated man from God. And what happened when Jesus was crucified and died? It was torn in two. That veil was gone. It is only Christ that that veil is taken away. But yet today, even today, 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 not just the today that Paul was talking about then, but today as well, it still exists. The hearts of those who read the Old Covenant and only the Old Covenant and don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, their hearts are still hardened and they're unable to see the truth. What was to be revealed, what was being brought to an end. Now we see these hard thoughts in our text this morning as well. Hard hearts produce hard thoughts. Both the Pharisees and the Herodians' hearts were hardened and they refused to or failed to see the good that Jesus was doing. And together they became co-conspirators to put Jesus to death. What's so interesting and infuriating, quite frankly, is that these two groups of people who pretty much hated one another, consider them the Republicans and Democrats, if you will, of today's day, they were willing to put aside their hard hearts and and hard thoughts that they had for each other in order to kill Jesus. To take out the guy who was doing good. And don't we see that today in our world? I mentioned politics. Politics is one of those areas that we definitely see this in. An inability to see any good in those who have different political views or opinions. The inability or unwillingness to listen 
to the other views in order to determine whether they are good or not. A willingness then to participate in the politics of personal destruction, plotting and and striving to destroy the opposition by any means necessary. This is very much related, of course, to Kip's lesson last week on hate. Hard hearts produce hatred. This hardness of thoughts and hard hearts unfortunately exists often in the religious circles as well, specifically in regards to religious differences. In our efforts to spread the gospel and stand firm in the truth, we can easily begin to think, we can think ill of our neighbors, of our co-workers, and even our brethren. Now I'm sure many of you heard that Billy Graham died last week. Billy Graham, of course, is not a member of the church, but I saw way too many negative and ill-mannered responses to his death, both from non-Christians, those who don't believe in God at all, and those who do believe in God, and even those who we call brethren. But I'd be remiss, and it would be hard thoughtful of me and hard-hearted of me to ignore the good that Billy Graham was able to accomplish in his time on this earth. No other person in America was able to bring that many people to be thinking about Jesus Christ as Billy Graham. Now, his theology may be a little bit off in terms of how one is saved, but that doesn't change the fact that he did good and he got people thinking about Christ. These hard thoughts often lead to and can be clearly seen in how we treat others. Do we malign, ignore, or even abuse others because of a hard heart or the hard thoughts we have? As I mentioned before, if we pass by somebody on the street holding a sign saying they're in need, do we pass by them and say, man, he's just going to buy alcohol, he's just going to buy booze or drugs? That's, that's a hard thought that's produced by a hard heart. Jesus said that those, you, you fed me when I was hungry, you clothed me when I was naked. And they said, well, when did we do that? And he said, when you do it to the least of these, you did it for me. Hard hearts are a problem. This position of heart and the subsequent hard thoughts can lead to verbal and even physical abuse as well. And that's what we see in the Pharisees' goal. You see, the problem with hard hearts is it leads to hard thoughts. And the problem with hard thoughts is that they don't stay that way forever. In fact, hard thoughts very quickly turn into deeds. And they're not good deeds. They're not the good fruit that we're supposed to be producing. Since the problem of hard hearts and hard thoughts are obviously very real, hopefully we've determined that, what can be done? Well, let's consider the alternative. The alternative for hard hearts, we can nurture a tender and compassionate heart. To do this, we need to remember that we have failures, we have weaknesses, and we are in need of forgiveness just like everybody else. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Paul tells the Ephesians, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We're supposed to forgive just as we have been forgiven. 
Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13, Paul again, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I've mentioned it before, but I know it's way too many cases in which People have left the church because of a lack of forgiveness, because of a lack of a compassionate and tender heart. And it, not, it wasn't necessarily on their part, but the church's part. The condemnation of those without compassion is in the Bible as well. And we have to consider that. We need to remember that in order to nurture a tender and compassionate heart. Look at Matthew 18. 33 through 35. This is Jesus speaking. We talked about this verse a couple weeks ago. Jesus says, And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There is condemnation. There is a bad ending for those who are unwilling to be compassionate toward others as Christ and God were compassionate on us. These things will help build up good and noble hearts with fair minds, like the good soil in the parable of the soil. It's in Mark chapter 4. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Luke documents a group of people who had the proper heart set, if you will, Verse 11, now those, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. These are the Bereans that he's talking about. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The Bereans' hearts were not hard, but rather they had an eagerness to receive the word. And I'll tell you right now that if your heart is hard, you are not eager to listen to, hear, or understand the truth. Tender hearts come from a remembrance of our own faults and our own failings. Remember, all fall short of the glory of God. All of us. Now, what's the alternative for hard thoughts? Tender hearts can help address and alleviate uh, the problem of hard thoughts, but... Kind thoughts or tender minds can further be nurtured by dwelling on the things that are noble and pure. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Notice the word think. Good thoughts. Think happy thoughts. What's that from? Is that Peter Pan? In order to fly, you have to think happy thoughts? All right. Well, there you go. Little not little little uh, insight there from Peter Pan. If you think kind thoughts, you'll fly. Like an angel. Okay. Um, Philippians ch- <coughs> is it, is it brec- brunch time yet? Everybody's looking at their watch. <coughs> Philippians chapter 2. Verses 3 through 5. If you flipped over to Philippians, just go back a couple pages. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 5. 
another way that we can nurture kind thoughts and a tender, uh, a tender mind is by developing a Christ-like mind. Verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. How many of us today can, can read those things and say, I have a Christ-like mind. I have a Christ-like heart. These tender minds that are full of kind thoughts are characterized by humility as we consider others. And as we teach, teach them and even teach ourselves. And we consider them or esteem them better than ourselves. It's also characterized by looking out for the interests of others. Just caring about them. Even if you think that what you're going to do is not going to be received in the way that you want it to be received, that doesn't matter. It's giving of yourself. As Christ gave Himself for us. Tender minds are the result of growing in Christ. This is not something that comes as you come out of the waters of baptism and you immediately have a tender heart, you immediately have a tender mind. You may, but it'll go away pretty quickly until you mature in Christ. To close this morning, I want us to consider the contrast of the mindset of the Pharisees and the Herodians in Mark chapter 3. The mindset of having a hard heart and having a hard thoughts and wanting to kill Jesus for the good that he was doing. We're going to contrast that with a mindset that is enjoyed here by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to, you, or for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to, the prayer, to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Well, what's the contrast there? For the Pharisees and the Herodians, when Jesus did something contrary to what they wanted or contrary to what they taught and the traditions that they held, their response was, kill him! But Peter says, when people do bad things to you, don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Seek peace and pursue it. Turn away from evil and do good. What kind of mindset do we have? Do we have a mindset that is filled with hard thoughts that are produced by hard, uh, hard hearts? I have to tell you, that is hard to say. Hard hearts and hard thoughts. Say it five times fast. I believe, believe me, it's difficult. Or do we have a mindset that's filled with kind thoughts produced by tender and compassionate Christ-like hearts? God's goodness and His long-suffering is designed so that the latter of those things can be produced. But 
if we remain hard-hearted against God, against His Son, against His Son's commands, if we remain hard-hearted against man as well, then the day of judgment, the wrath that is owed, is what we can expect. Consider Paul's writing here in Romans chapter 2, verses 4-5. through Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The goodness of Jesus, the goodness and the kindness and the forbearance and the patience and the kindness of God is there and intended to lead you to repentance. Have you repented? Have you turned to Christ as your Savior? You see, each week we offer up an invitation. An invitation for those who are in need of of anything that the church can assist with. It doesn't have to be baptism. But if you have need of prayer, if you're going through a difficult time in your life and you just need the support of the church, that's what the church is here for. But if you're here this morning and you have not put on Christ in baptism being joined with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection, now is the time that you can make that change. If we can assist you with that or any other need that you have this morning, the water is ready and so are we. Won't you come now while we stand and sing?